Scripture memory verse tonight, Proverbs 16, 3. Commit your works to the Lord, and your thoughts will be established. Proverbs 16, 3. Anybody else? Good job. Anybody else? Excuse me? I always mess up. Well, read it. Practice. This is what we're doing is practicing. We're learning. We're, we're, we're writing it on the tablet of our hearts and, and putting it in a place where the Holy Spirit can pull it out and dip it out and ladle it out to somebody else to drink. Proverbs 16.3 Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. Proverbs 16.3 Good job. Anybody else? Proverbs 16.3 Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. Proverbs 16.3 Good job. Anybody else? Proverbs 16.3 Commit your works to the Lord thoughts will be established. Proverbs 16.3 Good job. Anybody else? You can do it. I don't know it. You can read it. No. Okay. Well, notice that even in this verse you have what we're doing. You're committing your actions, which is one of the words for work, to the Lord, and then your thoughts are being established. Because you committed to memorizing the scripture, because you made it a plan in your heart, then you were able to memorize it, and it was established. Now, it might be deeper, and there might be more depth, and we might not ever exhaust it completely, but making a commitment to the Lord is the first thing. Committing to something. All of us are committed to something. All of us are committed to something. In idolatry and, and adultery and all these things, we commit to doing something. Taking care of self, worshiping something, we commit. And so what we want it to do is commit our works to the Lord. And our thoughts will be established. When you commit to, to school, when you commit to work, when you commit to these things, you learn these things because God has blessed us to have an IQ to learn, an ability to learn. But we have to understand to put God first. Commit is actually a word that means to trust. It's related to the Hebrew batak over in uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which is trust in the Lord with all your heart, not part of it, not some of it, not a bit of it, but all of it, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. He will direct your path. So there's your walks. But here we have that we're committing our works, our, we're committing our actions, we're committing that what we do, we're going to do everything unto the Lord. And then what's he going to do? He's going to establish our thoughts. He's going to establish, it can also be translated our plans. He's going to establish this for us. He's going to make them stand. He's going to make them straight. But first, you have to commit it to him. See, because he's already doing it. And what he wants you to do is line your heart up with what he's already doing. 
What he wants you to do is desire what he's already doing. What he wants you to do is enroll in what's already going on and become a part of it. And then he gives you eyes to see everything. And then he begins to change the way you think. From the inside out, you begin to have your very thoughts and plans and desires and who you are transformed into the image of the living God. Isn't that amazing? And all you have to do is make that commitment. You just have to trust him. New Testament, believe, right? The word pistio, believe. What's it mean? It means to commit. It means to trust God. It means to, to entrust something with your spiritual well-being. And in this case, it's believing in Jesus the Christ. And that way you're committing to him being the Mashiach. You're committing to him being the anointed of God. You're committing that you believe that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead and you shall be saved. So you're making that commitment with your life. And now many people, what do they do? They run out and they try to work. They try to work to be right with God. Listen, you, you, can't, you can't work to be right with God. You Now you need to commit your works to God. Many people, now listen, you're going to get confused. Stop getting confused. Get back in line. See, because what you're going to do is you're going to say, what can I do, Pastor? What can I do? And he's going to say, well, here, go work in the food bank. Or here, go do this. Listen, commit your works. The first thing we want to find out is, what work are you doing, Lord? Because I don't want to do my work. That's religion. See, but the whole church, what they want to do is just want to make some dust. I want to be busy. I want to look like the person next to me. I want to do what they're doing. But what work has God called you to do? Remember, it's actions. Okay? It's your actions after you commit. Commit to God. And a lot of people say, oh, I've already committed. I believe. I trust him. Well, there's a constancy in that afterwards. That's faith. There's a constancy that you keep walking in. And you continue, abide, remain, and eventually you're going to get to this established where you're standing. That's what stand means, established. It's going to stand. But listen, most people will say, I'm committed to the Lord. And then they just start doing work. But what we need to do is find out, well, what work is God doing? What work did God call you to do? And then commit those actions to the Lord. Because now you're listening to the Holy Spirit. Now you're committed to what God wants to do with your life, not what some man tells you about your life. You want to have this personal relationship where your commitment is to God. And then you bring all of that to the body of Christ, and you understand your gifts and talents and abilities, and you become the part of the body that you're called to be. It's, it's really, really simple. Now, what did I say earlier? I said I wouldn't say this, but look, the word commit. What does the church do? Instead of committing to God's word and God's work and God's plans, they start a committee. And then the committee decides by voting what we're going to do as a church. What if the committee is all messed up? What if the people on the committee have never committed their works to the Lord, their life to the Lord? But they're good, they're good bankers. I'm not picking on bankers. They're really good at construction. I'm not picking on construction workers. They, you know what? They do a great job at school on Sunday or on, on uh, Monday morning. But have they committed to God? Do they believe in God? Do they understand the Word of God, the works of God, and that we are here for the ministry of reconciliation of souls? 
See, because if you just start doing some stuff and you don't understand it's about lost souls, you're going to be offended really quick by some people. And you're going to be moving in the wrong direction. And you really haven't committed your actions to the Lord. You've committed to the committee or committed to the plan of some man instead of committing to God. Committing to the Lord. It's the Jehovah. So almost 6,000 times it's used. If you see it in the New Testament, it's, uh, it's a Hebrew word. It shouldn't be in the New Testament. That was a little jab at... Um, the Jehovah Witnesses that put Jehovah in the New Testament. It's a Hebrew word. It should not be in the Greek text. So it's just a little jab. So about 6,000 times about as most. So commit. What, what, what does commit mean? I, I, I know I went a little bit into that. I want to attack it a few different ways. So now let's look at commit because I really like it's an interesting word because commit means to roll. To roll together. It means to seek occasion or to trust or to transfer what was rolled away to another. So if I commit to God, I'm rolling everything about me over to God. I'm giving it to God. I'm, I'm rolling it to God. Now, it's interesting. I don't understand the depth of it, but uh, the first usage is uh, in Genesis 29.3. I don't know if you remember the text, but it's when Jacob had to flee from Esau and he gets to the uh, uh, his uncle's place and there's a well and it's noon it's midday and they're standing there waiting on the other flock if you'll remember do you remember this and and they go he goes what are you doing it's noon why are you watering the flock now and they say and i'm paraphrasing i'm not going to go there for sake of time and you can look at it though it's in genesis 29 3 and they're waiting for the other flock to get there. And they said, well, we, we all share this. And so we don't wait. We wait until the flocks all get here. Then we roll the stone away. Then we water the flock. And then we go home. And he's, you know, wanting to be a tough guy and do his own work. So what does he do? He rolls the stone away himself. This is the first usage. And you got to be careful because that's what we want to do. We want to get out there and do it on our own and roll the stone away. But what we really want to do is commit to God and do what he's doing and roll with him. We want to trust him and we want to be about his work, not about our works. But if you commit your works to the Lord, um, let's get some more on, on, on uh, works. It means an action. Remember what I always tell you about the book of Acts? How we've walked so far away from God that now we call it the book of Acts. But what's it really called? It's called the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. That's the real title of it. Because we have to remember that the power, the strength, the might, the direction is always the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. So if we go out and do works and actions on our own without the Spirit of God leading us into it, then it just becomes flesh. And there's nothing good that dwells in the flesh. We can make up a lot of stuff. We can have a bus ministry. We can have a food pantry. We can make up a lot of stuff. You know what? We should be standing on the street corner talking about Jesus. But did God tell you to do that work? See, he wants a personal relationship. Uh, honey, can you go clean your room? 
And 20 minutes later, it's like, what are you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm cleaning my door. But I asked you to clean your room. Well, my door is part of my room. I mean, you could come up with all kinds of things instead of committing to doing what God's voice has told you to do. What God has asked us to do, we make up things and we think we're okay and we're still being rebellious. We're still playing religion. We're still doing our own thing. And I'm not trying to make you listen to me. I'm not trying to, to say you have to stand on this little tack. See, God wants a love relationship with you. He wants you to hear his voice. He doesn't always want you to just be listening to man. But there is authority. But sometimes when I speak, sometimes I think, man, they probably think I'm talking about you have to stand in this one little spot and never move and do a pirouette. And then you just turn around and go, here's my Bible. Here's my prayer list. No, 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 no. There's freedom. There's liberty. This has set you free to where you're not doing what you want to do. I don't have to make up a list of work. I don't have to come up with a ministry. I don't have to design a church. I don't have to do anything. It's all done for me. What I have to do is just surrender to what's already going on and become a part of the body of Christ. But you can't just say a prayer and do nothing. You can't say, oh, I, I commit, I trust. See, we don't use this word anymore because... Think about it. There's, there, I mean, no, I'm not committing to this. You know what? Somebody might offer me more money tomorrow, and I'm going to the other job. There's no commitment. There's no, there's no loyalty. There's no, there's no, I'm staying here. I remember when I got saved 25 years ago, uh, I mean, just literally, I mean, this, the gospel was shared with me, and the one thing I knew was I was saved, and I was saved at Harvest Chapel, and it was part of my salvation because they were teaching the gospel. And within months, somebody offered me a job at a place. And I said, you know what? He said, oh, you're called here. You're supposed to be here. You I go, I don't know that. I said, I know I'm saved. And I know I'm called to Harvest Chapel. And I ain't going nowhere until God tells me to leave there. But I'll work for you. But I didn't know I was called there. And then I went there and didn't like it. And thought, oh, I'll just run off. I'm going to just go to another job. But I got counsel first. Because I had committed to work that job. So I went and asked counsel, and they said, well, stay for two years. Just stay. Because you can't be bouncing around, running to the next day, because you're running from yourself. You're running from what God is doing in your life. And submitting underneath authority is the problem that we have, is we don't want to submit underneath authority. That's how the lawlessness happens. And lawlessness is not driving too fast, okay? Lawless is not, lawlessness is not... Um, burning a building down and getting away with it. Lawlessness that the Bible is talking about is not following God. That's the lawlessness. See, we've got this the gospel being taught, and it's all a physical gospel. So it all relates to the physical instead of the spiritual. The drunkard will not inherit the kingdom of God. Boy, then people sure hang out at the bar a long time. It's a spiritual drunkenness. I know it can mean liquor, but it's the word methe. It means to be habitually intoxicated with anything. Now you're not sober anymore because you're committed to it and not committed to God. You're not committed to his work of the ministry of reconciliation of souls. If Jesus came and he did, and Jesus began a work of proclaiming the kingdom of God, and he did, and Jesus died on a cross for our salvation so we could come back. And he said, now you be my hands and my feet and you be my disciples. Then what are we supposed to be doing? Proclaiming the kingdom of God, being his hands and feet and finishing the ministry of reconciliation of souls. That's all he's here for. Everything else 
becomes a noise to deceive you. So you can go to work and you can work wherever you want. I don't know that God's that crazy. He'll put you, you'll wake up and go, wow, this was from God. But he's not going, oh my goodness, they're going to miss this. They should be working over there. They're over here now. They're playing at the wrong place. He's not freaking out. What he wants you to do is to commit your life completely to the ministry of reconciliation of souls. And he's already got it all written down. It's all planned out. He already knows all the decisions you made. You can rest because he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So he sees your, his face as he looks at you. It's going to be perfected. You don't have to panic. You have to trust. You have to commit to the Lord. This is just, that's all it's about, all the way through the Bible. Think about it in Genesis. They were, they were doing good. I started to say grooving, and that would be a funny way to say it, but they were. They were walking every day with God in the garden, Christophany. Here they are having fellowship. What happened? One other thing. Wait a minute. And see, I don't think it happened just with one conversation. I believe there was an enticement for covetousness and, and, and the woman began to see that, wow, there is another tree in there. And she sees it with her eyes. And she's like, man, that's a beautiful tree. And then the serpent says, yeah, God's holding that one. And then covetousness starts. And you'll be like it. Pride sets in. Now I'm going to listen in unbelief to the other voice and not trust God. Are you guys with me here? See, this is the depth of this. This is, and, and it didn't just start once. It was over and over and over. I don't know how many times. I can't. The Bible's silent to that. But if it's only one time and it happens, it's all it takes. But that's what created death. So we had the tree of life and the tree of death in the garden. Because the wages of sin is death. But it was really just unbelief that God was trustworthy unbelief that I, could, I was already committed. She was committed. He was committed. And people always go, well, if I just get the right environment for my children, if I just get the right environment, they were in the perfect environment. But their hearts always lead them astray. Just like you and I. And we have to understand that, that that's the problem, is that we go astray. And, and life is a, a series of these repentances where we are repenting and go, wow, Lord, how did I look over here? Wow, Lord, how did I do that? Why was I thinking that? And we have to stay right here committed to God's work or we'll end up doing our work. And we still feel okay because I went to church. I, I talked to some people. I read my Bible. But I'm over here doing some work that has nothing to do with what God called me to do. But I feel okay because other people are doing that work. And so I seem okay. I'm on the same plane still, and I don't even realize that it's moving away from the plumb line. It's moving away from the target. It's made up its own plans because of a committee instead of a commitment to God. Listen to me. It's a commitment, just like a marriage. Every time I think about it, you know, I mean, the first thing, I see this word, you know what? I think of my wife's obituary where we got married and committed our lives to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because my life's changed. It's just changed forever. 
And God knows that. But I'm still committed to God. My identity is still in Christ. My identity is not in the loss of my wife. See, and we can make it in what we've lost instead of what we're gaining. We can always make our identity in the wrong thing if we're not careful. And that can become the identity of a person. When I come out of prison, my identity was I was a convict. Tom used to make excuses all the time. Now, how sad it's going to be when people start saying, oh, well, it's all right. He just, just lost his wife. It's fine. That's sad. That's making excuses instead of, instead of living victoriously, understanding the Bible, understanding our identity is hidden in Christ Jesus. We've made a commitment to do the actions of God, to commit our actions to God. But where do you see this at in the church? Where do we see us talking about this? It's Sunday morning. That's it. Evangelize in the pews. Go back to work. Do whatever you want all week long. It drives me crazy. I'm sorry. It drives me crazy. But I'm blessed to be able to go house to house, just like we're supposed to, house to house, telling people about the gospel, sharing the gospel with people. And what we need to be sharing with people is that there's a false gospel out there. Do you really know that you're saved? Do you really know that you're committing your actions to the Lord so that your thoughts are being established? See, because my God wants me to talk about the kingdom of God and people being set free and Jesus the Christ, that the Holy Spirit's in me. That's what he wants me talking about. So why are my thoughts somewhere else? Why are my thoughts about everything, about my plans and myself and how we're going to build our church and do our thing? Why are my thoughts not reflecting the word of God and the truth of God? I'm not saying that they're not. I'm talking about people in Texas. But think about it in the, in the scene of evidence. When you look at it in evidence, Jesus says you can epigonosco a tree by its fruit. You can recognize a tree. There's fruit that comes alongside. You might have two trees standing there. They look alike. But when the fruit starts to bud out, which one is a tree of life and which one is a tree of death? Which one is committed to the works of God? And talking about God and which one still has death growing on it. Jesus said that. I didn't say that. He said, you can tell a tree by its fruit. And now every person, not emphatically, most people, I should say, can look at an apple tree and go, that's an orange tree. No, you look at it and you go, that's an apple tree. No, it's an orange tree. Are you crazy? There's not even an orange color on it. That's an orange tree. That's a banana bush. Think about it. You look at instantly and see it. And if somebody said, that's a cherry tree, when you see these great big apples, you're going to think, they ain't all there. They've committed their stuff to somebody else. There's something going on up top. The elevator ain't going probably short of a happy meal. Listen, I'm serious. But what about in the church? Don't judge me, man, just because I don't have the same fruit you have. And I'm not talking about walking around. We, we are fruit inspectors. I'm not talking about walking around and going, they ain't going to hell. You're going to hell. Grow some fruit, boy. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about we should be able to recognize truth from error if the Spirit of God is in us. We should be able to recognize and understand how to talk to people if the Spirit is leading us. 
and have wisdom in talking with them. And, and here's the better part, wisdom in not listening to them. And I'm not saying don't listen, don't be personal, but don't listen to their counsel. If they're on TV preaching a false gospel, if they're saying they're a Christian, but there's nothing in their life that lines up, you don't need to go somewhere with them and fellowship and go, hey, I'm going to go hang out with them for a while. We're going to fellowship. Now, you better win into the Lord first because they're going to lead you someplace in a compromising position and you're going to be stuck there going, oh, what just happened? Because you only have all things in common with a tree that's trying to grow fruits of righteousness, oaks of righteousness. These are things we need to understand in the body of Christ and think about. We would do it if we were going to be a doctor. Uh, going to invest all this money to be a doctor and you go to college and you show up and they got... I don't even know who a good comedian is anymore. They're teaching the class, and you're like, is this comedy school or is this doctor school? What is going on here? You're not going to stay there. This is not going to end well. You would know it with any other thing in your life. You would know it instantly. You know what I mean? You go to get the generic, and you go, the generic just doesn't work. It just doesn't work, so I'm not getting the generic. I'm going to go pay for the real thing. But with the gospel, we seem to belly up to some of the silliest stuff, and we trust it, and we don't read the book and find out and commit our actions to the Lord so that our thoughts will be established. You don't have to talk to somebody very long to know they don't know the Bible. And that's everywhere across the board. I'm talking about with pastors even. I'm not picking on anybody, but you can talk to pastors who don't know the Word of God. They don't know the truth of God. They've been made a pastor by some apostate system that sent them to seminary, and they believe they're a pastor, but did God really call them to do that work? Did God really call them to do that work? Have they really committed those actions to the Lord, or is that just their career? I mean, because, you know, you can go online and get a sermon real easy. Canned sermons are everywhere. You can go online, and here's a good one. Let me go listen to somebody I respect and like that teaches real well. I'm going to go listen to what they're teaching and just jot down a few notes. And then on Sunday, I'll just, you know, in my own personality, teach the same thing. Really? That's what you want to do? You want to be like him instead of like God? Shouldn't you spend time with God and his word and say, what do you want me to say? And let him, and then just go up and trust him? Because you committed your works, your actions to him. I, I'm telling you, it's not, it's not that fun to show up not knowing what you're going to say sometimes. But I guess it's going to be right because it's from God. It's not from man. But shouldn't we do that in all of our lives? Be real? Spending time with God, my thoughts are established. You run into some place and somebody's throwing a fit. Now your thoughts are established. You know how to counsel. You know what to say to them. Because you've been spending time with God. You're not afraid because you've been put there for that moment. And God allowed you to walk into it. Yeah, but they're flipping out. I'm just leaving. Really? Now, I'm not saying that there's not times that the Holy Spirit doesn't say... Feet don't fail me now. You got to get out of there. But we've been created for these moments. 
and we need to understand that as our identity and begin to let God put that in our lives where we're, we don't have to be afraid. No matter what they're doing on the planet, we don't have to be afraid. We belong to God. We belong to God. Oh, you mean the God that spoke and created everything? Yeah, that God. You mean the God that's all-powerful? That's him too. You mean the one that says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you? We belong to him. The one that was gracious and kind and long-suffering enough to call us out of darkness? And he gave us a diploma before we ever even graduated? He does. He gives you everything before you ever get to see it. And you go, you kidding me? We're already done? Position? Up there? But now down here I got it. This is amazing. It's because he already knows the beginning from the end. He already knows everything. But we'll go listen to some knucklehead that knows nothing and read a commentary or some knucklehead that knows nothing and you're going, boy, Lord, this is a horrible because you called me to come underneath authority and they're my authority, but they don't even know what I know. And I don't know nothing. That's crazy stuff. But you still, you grow through obeying. You grow through going. You grow through committing your works to the Lord. You don't grow because, back up, I got this. I know how to do this. Well, you might grow that way after you get humbled for a long time. Because you're going to get humbled. God's going to say, no. we got to take you out. We took you out of the world. Now we're going to take you out of you and put me in you. That's the whole plan of sanctification. I'm sorry. I'm way off topic here, but let's get back to it. I was having fun with it. What verse was we on anyway? Um, commit. Commit is not just what you do. It's what is God doing. And are you committed to what God is doing? Not what a church or a denomination or some place is doing. Are you committed with your actions to do what God is doing? What's God doing, Greg? Reconciling souls. Well, how do you do it? You're as wise as a serpent, but gentle as a dove. So it's going to be all kinds, a plethora of things that God does. Some you have compassion. Some you save with fear, hating even the garment defiled with the flesh. And there's no net. And you just trust the Lord in it when you go. But he's training you. He's teaching you. In fact, your teacher's in your heart. He come and sealed you. And he's sitting in your heart going, just listen to me. I'll lead you. Just trust me. I'm there. Just commit your actions to me. All right, Lord. We've had a, okay, a little huddle here. I'm praying this morning. I'm committing the first of my day, committing my life, committing my ways. Boy, this is scary, but here we go. And if you're anything like me, you're like, what's these knuckleheads doing? They're driving fine. Let's go. Come on. Come on. we got to get save the world. Well, that's what I always feel like I'm doing to do, so that's just me. If you're anything like me, I'm that knucklehead that's waving his hands in the truck going, Why are you stopping here? Come on! There ain't no stop sign. That's for the sidewalk. It's a little bitty stop sign. It's not big. You guys, you guys ever see those people that do that? They stop for those little stop signs? 
because we got to put bike paths everywhere because we're a bunch of girls. I'm sorry, I'm a normal person from a normal uh, chaotic world of dysfunctionality, but I know Jesus. And we got to have some fun with it, but at the same time, listen, people are dying and going to hell. And the church is apostate and lost and fighting for a country and fighting over political differences and saying, I'm a conservative. I'm not a conservative. I'm a Christ follower. I'm somebody that's committing my actions to the Lord so that he'll establish my thoughts because my thoughts are messed up. If you knew what I was thinking, you would not come to this church. And if I knew what you was thinking, I would lock the door. Amen. Think about it. So we got to be washed and cleansed. And the only way that's going to happen is if we commit to doing things God's way, learning his word, get praying to him, changing our desires and get in fellowship with his people and get involved in the ministry of reconciliation of souls and use our gifting for that. Because if we keep doing the other thing, we're training our thoughts to keep thinking death, rebellion. And we keep talking about others and being mean to others. And we go, I'm a Christian. You shouldn't have to tell anybody you're a Christian. They should, you, they should see it by the persecution, by the wave party and the sea parts when you come in the room. Everybody flees. They're like, I want to talk to that guy. He's going to talk about Jesus. I'm serious because think about Jesus. If you was in the room, what happened? Think about the disciples. If you were in the room, what happened? That's what they did. And guess what? It divided into two columns every time. There was rioters and there was people surrendering. It always divided the room. But it was always about Jesus. It was always about the kingdom of God. It was always because they committed. They didn't know what they were doing. And in fact, think about it in the book of Acts. When you see it, he told them to go into all the world. And what did they do? Little holy huddle just in Jerusalem. This is nice stuff. You, you get some of that soup? You get some of that soup? Got some cornbread and soup. We're going to sit right here in holy huddle. And what did God do? He said, oh, oh, they must have misunderstood. I better bring a little bit of adversity. And he raised up adversity to attack their little holy huddle. Then what happened, Greg? They started getting arrested and thrown in prison. And what happened, Greg? They all fled. And they left, and they went down to Samaria, and they went to all the earth like they were supposed to. Man, I've been fighting with the devil all day. No, God's trying to goad you into committing your works and your actions to him so that your thoughts will be established because you're thinking crazy right now if you think the devil's attacking you and you belong to Jesus. Think about it for a long and hard time. He already defeated the works of the devil. He already took the power. I'm fighting with the devil. No, you're fighting with God. He's getting ready to take your hip out of socket and give you a new name and take you home if you don't quit. Or you're going to walk away. You're going to say, it didn't work for me. I'm going to go to another church. I'm going to go do it where they, they all they do is say, just show up and tithe and you'll be all right. I'm sorry. I'm weird, ain't I? What did you commit to? Oh, church. I signed them. We're members now. We signed that paperwork. 
You ever believe in Jesus? Who's he? I'm terrible, ain't I? What'd you commit to? I'm serious. People go forward at an altar, say a prayer, and commit their life to Jesus, and, and they never do nothing. What happened if you committed your life to your company and you'd go never do nothing? Your wages don't mean nothing. The paycheck's going to look bad. Well, we need to talk to you in my office right now. See, we hired you, and you ain't ever showed up. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm getting a little bit uh, uh, silly here. But think about it, long and hard, Christ purchased us with his blood. He gave his body as a sacrifice. He led the charge. He's the forerunner. He's the one that came. He's the author of it, and then he finished it for us. He made the example he did everything. Took our curse. I mean, I could go on and on with that, but we need to get this finished. Um, I'm, just, I'm just telling you, I, I know I'm a knucklehead. I know I mess up all the time. I, I know I'm being perfected. I'm not who I used to be. But I'm trying to commit my actions to those of the reconciliation of souls. And so you have to get in the Word. You have to ask the Holy Spirit to help you. You have to confess your sin. You have to go to prayer and fellowship. You cannot make an excuse every week. I was home sorting the blue socks this week. Last week it was the yellow socks, but this week it's the white socks. Oh, you was watching baseball? Um, listen, and I'm not even saying that it's anything to do with coming to church. A building doesn't save you. But we're not supposed to be forsaking the assembling of ourselves together but look at the church today everything else is okay because i said a prayer it's the biggest lie that's ever been told in the church i better keep moving we're never going to even look at what the rest of these words mean oh commit remember to roll have you rolled your have you transferred everything about you and rolled it into God, into a covenant with God, a scroll that's rolled up, your name is on it, you trust him, you're trying to roll together. You know what I mean? Let's roll. Wherever you go, he's in front of you. He's leading you. We're, we're rolling. You ever, you ever say that to people? Let's roll. Let's go. Let's roll. I'm just trying to make it work. I, if I actually took you where he took me, we'd be here for some long times. But I'm not going to take you there now. We might take it there some other time. So works is an action. Listen, it's a product. It's a poem. It's an act. It's a business. It's a deed. It's workmanship. What does he say in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2.10 now. We are his workmanship. His poema is the word. It's a poem that's in progress. He's still writing it. He's still developing it. He's still washing it and cleansing it. 
It's not what it was, but it's not what it's going to be. Because practically, we are his workmanship. Well, what, what else? We created in Christ Jesus for good works that we should walk in them. Well, there's none good but God, so there's no good works of our own. You can't make up your plan. You can't say, this is my idea. Here's what I think we should be doing. What you have to do is say, God, what did you call me to do? What did you design me to do? Lots of people are a weed eater mowing a, a three-acre field. One of my favorite things. I used to have, when I got saved, that's what I, when I got saved, I didn't have a lawnmower. I never mowed my grass, so a guy gave me a lawnmower with three wheels. Three wheels on it. And I was holding it up mowing the yard. It would work better than a weed eater. Because I've tried to do it with a weed eater. And you can mow a three-acre field with a weed eater. It's going to be all... And you can get her done. If you get after it and stay after it. Is that what you do? Seriously. But isn't there like a 60-inch riding zero-turn radius mower that's been designed to do that really fast and efficiently? And see, a lot of times what we do is we start trying to do something and we end up failing because that's not what we're called to do. That's not what the Holy Spirit has gifted us at. That's not time for that. Now, see, somebody might put you in a place and, and see the potential, but they ruin the potential because they're doing it in their own plan, in their own time, in their own way, instead of you understanding that you have an identity, that you've been called to do something. So you should be talking and getting counsel and finding out what actions you're supposed to be taking in the body of Christ. Commit to God's action, God's work, God's plan, and then let your thoughts be established. We don't have to walk around. What is it, 1 Timothy 1.7? For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power and love and of a sound mind. Our thoughts should always be established by God. We don't have to walk around in confusion because of Babylon, confusion because of bad teaching, confusion because we don't know what we're called to do. Christ died to give us an identity in the family of God as believer priest, as living stones, as the sanctified and saved, and I mean the called out ones, the ecclesia. There's so many names that God has given us. Anyway. What are you committed to? Committed to reading through the Bible this year? See, some of those commitments, the little bitty faithful things, they change your life. When I got saved, I was challenged. You read through the Bible in a year, and your life will never be the same. Guess what? My life has never been the same. If I would not have read through the Bible in that first year, I'm not putting that on my works. It's on the counsel that come out of the Bible. Because my first year of marriage was bad. The second year was worse. But without the counsel of the word of God and, and the commitment to God, we would have ended in divorce by the second year. In November, we celebrated 25 years of marriage. But only by the grace of God. Only because we committed our actions to God. Not we went to the altar and said a prayer. We committed our works to God. And the rest of it, he takes care of. He begins uh, uh, to establish your thoughts. Your thoughts. Listen. Your thoughts. Your intentions. 
This can actually be works too. Can actually be translated into works. Uh, what is it? It's uh, Hebrews four twelve. For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to divide the bone and the marrow. Uh, and the soul and the spirit, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I'm just getting to the word thoughts. Think about it. Because what you're thinking about and what you're doing and the actions that you're taking in life today should be evidenced by the growth of the word of God as you commit your works to the Lord. Your thoughts should be changing. What you desire to do should be changing because of just simply trusting God, simply committing to God. Um, it can actually be translated plans. Because remember what was last week? Wasn't last week the word plans? 1920. Anybody remember Proverbs 1920? Listen to counsel and receive instruction. That you may be wise in your latter days. Wasn't that plans? I don't know. My brain, I, th I was thinking it was last week. First usage on thoughts. Ooh. First usage on thoughts. It means that which one meditates on. Counsel. I got to go here. Let's go to uh, first usage on thoughts. Exodus 31. Is that right? No, it's, that's what was wrong with me. It's Genesis 6 5. You found out what's wrong with you? <laughs> well, my brain was looking at the notes. Maybe I'm not supposed to be following them right now. I was just looking. Genesis 6 5 is the first place that this is used. And where's it at? See, it's, it's in this text where God reveals to us, uh, then the Lord saw, did you think he really saw it or did he already know it? He's declaring it now, that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. See, if you're in the earth, it is great. In Christ, uh, different story. And that very, in, in, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord relented. He was sorry that he made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. Because I'm not going to go on. Um, you can read it later. That was the first place. Because listen, every plan you have, nothing good dwells in the flesh. Every action you take, nothing good. But if you commit them to the Lord... Now he can begin to change the way you think. He can, he can put his spirit in you. He can practically sanctify and cleanse you with the washing of the water through the word. And you can begin to look at how you react to the word, how you respond to the word, how you respond to truth, how you're surrendering to it, what's going on to find out if you're going to be established and stand. But many people, they'll pick their Bible up to go to church some people won't even bring them to church. They've got a phone so they can look at it on their phone. AI is leading their Bible. And uh, I, I just, I, I'm not saying I don't read my Bible on the phone. I do now. But I read this every chance I can get. I carry, I've, been, I've been a believer for over 25 years. And guess what? 
I carry this on my dash everywhere I go. Work every day I have for 25 years. This goes with me. And some people think I'm weird. Oh, he carries a big Bible. This is the fourth cover on it because I'm stupid. I put I use it for a filing cabinet. They say, don't do that. I put it on the dash. The sun melts the glue. Don't do that. But I've always got this. I've always got this with me. Well, you can look. No, this is the one I got. Because if I don't know where it's at, I know it's on the left-hand side of the page about three-quarters of the way down, and I'll find it for you. We will find it together. I can use a search engine, but most of the time, if you learn this Bible, this is your reference to the Word of God to, to make sure you're not following something the wrong way. Listen, when God tells us that everything about us in the flesh is evil continually, every thought is evil continually, why? Because it's separate from God. We haven't, we haven't rolled ourselves up with God. We haven't come into that union and that commitment with Him where we are married to them. You know how, like I told you at my wife's funeral. Listen, our funeral was when we committed to be married. We both died and became one new creation in Christ. That was our funeral. That was a commitment that we made with God. And he got us through that. And we would have far less divorces in the church, 85% in the church. Oh, is it any different? No, it's no different than the world. It's the same. Because the world is in the church. Instead of the church going to the world, the world came to the church. Because we make it so easy and palatable. So everybody will come in and help us build our little buildings. But are souls really getting saved? That's what I want to ask. My Bible says it's the apostasy. It's sad. And I think we should wake up and speak up and not shut up. So, um, how do you stop having evil thoughts continually? You let the Holy Spirit come in and change you. Do full home makeover. Start tearing down walls. Start exposing the thoughts and intents of your heart. Start moving around and you start confessing and saying, you're right, Lord. I did say that because I wanted to get promoted. I did say that because I was mad, even though I laughed and chuckled and acted like it was a joke. Out of the abundance of my heart, I spoke. And that means the overflow. And we want to hide the word in so that it changes us. And only when it's committed to the Lord do we stop doing the evil. And you have to ask God, help me to recognize that. Help me to recognize that because I've been deceived enough. And listen, self-deception is easy. Self-deception is so easy. You know what's so easy to do? Is to notice everybody else's sin and never deal with your own. It is so easy to become a fruit inspector instead of just recognizing fruit. See, I don't have to inspect and, and come and spray you with a bunch of whatever to kill your bugs. What I have to do is learn to be faithful to what God called me to do, and now you can see what real fruit looks like. And then you become thirsty or you leave. That's, that's how it happens. 
real fruit begets real fruit. Or it's going to beget jealousy and death and envy. What happened with the devil in heaven? The fruit of God. He coveted God to be like the Most High God. He wanted to be like him, but it was an impossibility on his own. Now, if he would have stayed in the presence of God and submitted to God and stopped resisting God, God just created him and gave him everything. I mean, read about him. He was, he was beautiful. His timbrels, everything about him was glorious until sin was found in his heart. That's why there's no salvation for those that were already in the presence of God for fallen angels. So covetousness is really good if we would covet to be like God. If we would desire to be like God. Lust is really good if we would lust after the things of God. But we've turned them all into a physical, tangible, bad words when if we are just pursuing godliness, committing to God and His plan, these all become great things. But when you pervert them in a fallen nature in flesh, you create religion in the synagogues of Satan, they become something that are not desirable to God, and they can only be burned up with fire. They're not, they're not savable. So when the Holy Spirit comes in, now he can begin to be that consuming fire that burns out the old man and writes his word upon our hearts, the new man, the new soul, and we become new creations in Christ. And then we say, wow, that's good stuff. I, that, I like reading that. That is good stuff, but I've got nothing in me to do it. I've got no capacity to follow it. So now you need the Holy Spirit's power that comes with it. When you surrender and you commit and you begin to say, I want to do that. If that's what you're going to do in my life, that's what I want too. I choose you because you chose me. And so that he begins to wash and cleanse you. And you become like Christ. So, the second usage is Exodus 31. Look at Exodus 31. Exodus 31. For thoughts. It, it actually gives you a picture of the Holy Spirit doing what's supposed to happen in the body of Christ. If you were, I, I could... I could probably just uh, paraphrase it for you. But let's just read it really quick. Hopefully I don't take too long because it's getting late and uh, we're going over. <laughs> You're already over there laughing because you knew I was going there. Look at this. Look at this. Because, well, they're building and doing and hearing from God all this stuff. The, the daily offerings, the altar of incense, which is the prayer of the saints. Oh, wait a minute, the bronze laver is in chapter 30, which is judgment. And then the holy anointing all, which is the Holy Spirit. And then now we're back to prayer again. But then we get to 31. Uh, one. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, See, not do anything, look, just see. Just epigenoskos, just see it. Recognize that I have called by name Bezeliel, 
the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, right tribe, huh? And I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, understanding, knowledge, in all manner of workmanship. Remember, that's what this word was. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. But he's the one that filled him. He's the one. He said, just see, just recognize it. A tree by its fruit. He's full of wisdom, understanding, knowledge. God's wisdom, understanding, knowledge. And all manner of workmanship. To do what, Greg? To design artistic works. <clears throat> what artistic works? To work in gold, that's deity. Silver, that's redemption. In bronze, that's judgment. And cutting jewels for setting and carving of wood, wood is flesh. And to work in all manner of workmanship. See what happened? The Holy Spirit comes in and gives you everything you need to do what was called to be done. God said, build this temple. Build this house, this, this tabernacle in the wilderness. And make these utensils and make this and make that. And then wait a minute. I put my spirit in Bezaliel. Uh, so that you can do it. He has all the ability to do it. God doesn't call us to do stuff and then doesn't give us the ability. The power comes from him also. And I, indeed, I have appointed with him, so then he brings people alongside to help. A holy app. I didn't get you, the, I didn't get you what these mean. Um, Aholiab means the divine father is my tabernacle. That's what I have written in my Bible anyway. The son of Ahishamak of the tribe of Dan. Dan means judge. And I have put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans. That was artisans before I got. Before I learned. I thought artisans and artisans were the same word. Artisans that they and I was an artist too and still didn't know the word because I was uh, crazy that they may make all that I have commanded you the tabernacle of meeting the ark of the testimony the mercy seat that is on it and all the furniture of the tabernacle the tables the utensils the pure gold lampstand and with all of its utensils the altar of incense the altar of burnt offering its utensils the labor in its base the garments of ministry the holy garments of Aaron the priest and the garments of his sons to minister as priest and the anointing oil and the sweet incense for the holy place according to all that I've commanded you they shall do see listen this is becoming a doer and not a hearer only deceiving ourselves but we have to understand that it's God's work it's his plans that we commit to not our works and then we commit to his power and his strength because you can go out in front and you can begin to do it in your own strength. And it, usually the way you notice that is you begin to wear out. You don't have any energy because God gives everything to do what he's called you to do. And you can rest in it. Baziel means in the shadow. Who does? Baziel. Baziel? Yeah. What's it mean? In the shadow or protection of God. 
Yeah, that's the Holy Spirit. It's a type of Holy Spirit. And he doesn't want any attention. So he's kind of like over in the shadows. He's supposed to draw attention to the Lord. Okay. So this is how your thoughts are established is with the Holy Spirit. And then by the power of God, you're going to complete the work. Uh, but it takes the Holy Spirit coming in you. Um, so you commit your works to the Lord that your thoughts will be what? Your plans will be what? You're not making up ideas. It's not your plans. It's his plan. Okay? And we become instruments in his hand. Witnesses of his goodness and mercy and grace, his power established, which means to be erect or to stand to set up, to be firm, or here it is, confirmed. It's how you're confirmed. It's established. You'll see it. First usage, first usage is in Genesis 41, 32. Genesis 41, 32. It's an interesting text once again. Um, to see it being first used, And if you remember, oh my goodness, Joseph was in prison, thrown in prison for nothing that he'd done. You know, boom, 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 boom. He's a type of Christ. He's innocent. He's in between the uh, cupbearer and the and the baker, like the cross. All three of them are there. One of them dies. One of them is lifted up and has life that day. Uh, and puts the cup back in the king's hand again, as he always did. Just like Jesus said, one of you will, uh, you know, he said to the one thief who changed his mind and repented and quit talking about uh, and reviling and blaspheming Jesus, he said, you'll be in paradise with me today. And the other one obviously died, uh, just like the same thing. But um, then what happened? He went away and forgot all about Jesus. What did he say when he when he told him of his freedom? When he said, you're going to be set free today. It's the, it's the king's birthday. And you're going to put the cup back in his hand again. He said, but when you go there, don't forget me. Because I've been sold here and I'm not really supposed to be here. Can you talk about me a little bit? And he never talked about him. So what happened? Then Pharaoh has this dream. Remember the dream? Fat cows did skinny cows. And he said, oh, I, I remember my mistake now. When I was in prison, in bondage to sin, somebody told me my identity and what was going to happen with my life and my dream. And so what do they do? They bring him out. And he becomes, but he tells him, that's what's going on here. He tells them what the dream was. And he says this, though. The dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established. It's going to stand. God's word always stands. It's firm. It's established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. 
Same thing with this. See, God will complete the work he started in you. If you commit your works to the Lord, your thoughts will be established. They'll come to pass. And this is, again, it's, it's, it's the rule of the Bible. By, a, by, the, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, let a matter be established. That's where that word is used also. And this is what's going on here. It was given twice to Pharaoh. You had to find the, the person to interpret the dream, to tell him about it, to establish it. So you want to come to the Word of God, commit to God, allow the Spirit of God to teach your identity in God, and then be the power of your life, the strength of your life. But it's the Holy Spirit leading you. And by the mouth of two or three witnesses. Who's those two or three witnesses, really? The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Who are those two or three witnesses? Michael was saying it the other day. He goes, uh, you, uh, what was it you said? You said, oh, I just thought of it. Oh, that where two or more gathered, there I am in the midst. That was on the cross. He was in the midst of them. You know, there's, there's so many ways you can look at these things differently than the way that we have, in some ways, stagnated them and made them all fleshly and all down to earth and not looking at them from heaven's window down the way God wanted us to see them. So are you, uh, is your thoughts being established? Or are you still thinking the way you always did? Well, once I get this position, then I can rest. Once I get the paycheck, then I can rest. Once I get there, I can rest. They all think I'm Christian now, so I'm good. That's not established by God. God's the one that you're living for. God's the one that called you. God's the one that paid for you. He's the one that bought you. I mean, it's not when I read the next number one bestseller. This is, a, this is, this is the rest of your life, the rest of your eternity, that we're committed to God. <laughs> to his work. Listen, we are called to work unto the Lord, but that's not what this is saying. This is do the work of the Lord. We're working unto the Lord in his power, but we want to also do the work of the Lord because you can be doing a whole bunch of stuff and saying, I'm doing this for the Lord and it's not even his. He didn't call you to do it. It's religion. I'm working unto the Lord. Well, it's not his work. So your heart might be right in the sense that you want to do something, but have you committed your life to his work? The ministry of reconciliation of souls. So that your thoughts, your desires, your inside can stand. Because that's the position we're supposed to be in. Standing in the victory of Christ as we learn our identity having done all things to stand. We even had, it was our verse this morning at the office, was, was um, Ephesians 6, 18. And, and it's praying always with all prayer, excuse me, praying always with all prayer in the Spirit. And that was the point I was trying to get to. It's in the Spirit. See, because you can even be praying and praying amiss, praying wrong. If the Spirit's not leading you in that prayer, so you want to commit completely to God so that you can pray rightly for somebody instead of just pray. And this will take a lifetime. All of this is going to take a lifetime. But if you don't get on the starting line, you never get out the gate. 
if you think all you had to do is say a prayer, you never get begin on committing with a constancy so that the Holy Spirit is working in and through you for the reconciliation of souls. So commit, roll your actions to the Lord. Here I am, Lord, send me. I want to be involved in your actions. It's your field, it's your harvest, it's your kingdom, not mine. And your plans, or that which you meditate on, your thoughts will be established. They'll stand. Because you'll be doing what God's already doing. So it's got to stand. It's got to bear fruit. Because God's, that's what he designed us to do. Did I forget something there? Ooh. Okay, we'll close with this. 2 Timothy 1.12. Paul, speaking to... Timotheus, 2 Timothy 1.12. Prison epistle. Paul in prison. Why? For the gospel. The man who has this belt will go and be in prison. Are you kidding me? Stop crying. I'm not only ready to go to prison, but to die for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He told Agabus and them. And then in one twelve here. Oh, that's not what I wanted to read. Where did I do? Oh, I'm in 1 Timothy. That's pretty cool, too. First uh, Timothy 1.12 was, And I think Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me, to help by the power of the Holy Spirit, because he counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. <laughs> that's supposed to be at 2 Timothy, though. I like that verse. Which one is it? Counted. He thought forward. 2 Timothy 1.12. Paul is in prison. I'm not going to read it all. You can read it as homework later if you'd like. This is uh, his conclusion. Listen, verse 11 says he was appointed. Here's the work God gave him to be a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher to the Gentiles. And then what does he say? For this reason I also suffer these things. What things? He's in prison. Now, it's his second imprisonment. Remember, he was released by Nero, and then Nero burnt down Rome, and then he rearrested him. He's going to die this time. He's being poured out as a drink offering. This is going to be the end of it, probably his last letter that he wrote, uh, most safe. Look, nevertheless, I am not ashamed. See, he's been arrested for being a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. For I know whom I have believed, who I committed to, whom I'm trusting, and am persuaded that he, God, Christ, is able to keep, guard, protect what I have committed to him until that day. Listen, commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're living in, no matter what the problem is, He's in prison for doing exactly what he was called to do. But today we are, oh, if you're faithful to God, you won't ever have any problems. Really? Where's that at in the gospel? Where's that at in the Bible? The world hates Christ. The spirit of the world hates the word of God and the truth of God. 
The reason we don't have any problems is because we're apostate. So, notice that Paul, Saul of Tarsus, later changed to Paul, who was doing all kinds of his own works, his own plans. He was living in an apostate religious system. He was trying to kill Christians, but then he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he says, Who art thou, Lord? He got up, he prayed, he committed his life, his actions, to Christ, and he believed that Christ would take care of him and guard him until the day of judgment. And we can believe that. We can trust that. Next week's uh, Proverbs 21.1 The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord and like the rivers of water he moves it where he wishes. I think something of that nature. I better read it for you. I just read it earlier so I thought I had it memorized. Let me just make sure. 21.1 of Proverbs and keep an eye on 21.2. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord like the rivers of water. He turns it wherever he wishes. Listen. Commit. Just like the water. He'll turn it where he wishes. Trust him. Is that on Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you for calling us out of darkness. Lord, we want to trust you completely. We want to commit our actions to you. We want to trust your spirit to lead us. And we want you to establish our thoughts. Help us to change our minds. And have the mind of Christ. And go and tell others. To be saved from this crooked and perverse generation. To be reconciled with God. Thank you for that good news Lord. Thank you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you.